With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. This thing right here is for my people's streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that, that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon dropped Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq And you can do that you know, People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. That's right. As we start this show, this one mic. I'm loving it here. We're getting it going uh, in the building. Uh, it's been great. This is your guy, D. Wills. Welcome to One Mic. Um, you know, uh, tis the season. You know, this is the cross-section of a whole lot of things happening in the world of sports. Um, but... Um, we got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about Cubs win, Cubs win. And then we got the matchup between OK City uh, and, uh, and uh, the Golden State Warriors, Westbrook and company uh, uh, going back. He's facing his old teammate, Durant. A lot of talking, a lot of Twitter, Twitter talking, a lot of whole bunch of other things going. But before we proceed and I get more into the lineup, I got to welcome my guy, Hank, to the to the to the uh, to the to the floor. How's it going, my man? You all right? Man, listen, I I would I'm not I'm just as happy as I could be as the leaves of brown come tumbling down here right now in the month of November. It is beautiful right here in the Midwest. Uh, as you said before, across sections of many things is going on in in the sports world. Baseball just ending, but that doesn't mean that it's the end. There's so much going on, and I can't wait to get into it and talk about it. All right. Hey, all of the callers come to you uh, by our signature sponsor here, Carbon World Health, uh, located on Whitney Way in Madison, Wisconsin. The host for our recent RSC Live. Stop by and see Dr. Rodriguez and the folks and let them know that the RSG fellas sent you. Hey, man, I, w- I want to thank all the people in Rockford, Illinois. I was out there at Murphy's uh, hanging with my guy, Mo Red, who was a contributor on RSG. Um, 
you know, I wanted to get in the mix with the Cubs fan. I wanted to get an understanding. And to me, the line of the night, when when Cleveland tied it up, burst of frustration came out of the guy that's sitting across the table from me. He said, I don't have another 50 years to wait for this. And at that point, <laughs> I realized what Cubs fans have been going through. Man, you are a baseball guy, uh, Hank. Did you, what was it like watching the game? I watched it. What was it like? I mean, what were your what were your thoughts? Where does this game rank in terms of all the baseball you've been watching? You know, I'll let, I, I'll let the floor get there. We, we, we're not going to do it inside the park. We're just going to freelance it right here today. So, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you thought about the game and how you saw it unfold. Well, let me tell you. First of all, game sevens in and of themselves just got so much intrigue and drama and anxiety to them, whether you are a, a have a rooting um, uh, interest or not. But this was very entertaining for so many reasons. Okay, first of all, you had two historically bad baseball teams that found their way on the same stage. Last week when, we, when I spoke, I told you that this was going seven and that the uh, Cubs were going to win. Um, but in the dramatic fashion in which it was, this would have made great theater. This would have made a tremendous movie. In fact, we've probably seen this movie somewhere. You know, when you go back and you think about the major league movies, you know, with, with, with Wild Thang, okay, and Joe Boo, and you go back and think about Rookie of the Year with the little boy that could throw, you know, a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You know, uh, all of these things you saw in movies, this is the only time you think you'd ever see the Cleveland Indians or the, and the Chicago Cubs playing for an actual World Series unless it was on PlayStation, and yet here we were. It was, it was, it was wonderful to watch. It was so much. And then if you stayed up and you watched the dramatic home run by Rajay Davis to tie the game in the sixth, I knew that Cubs fans, every last one of them, I think it was at that time, where the toilet paper stock went sky high in uh, the state of Illinois. You know, you should have bought Sherman or Brown tea or whatever else at that time. You would be a rich man at, after the eighth inning after that home run blast. But then, you know, when you think about the Cleveland Indians, they have their own. They have their own uh, niche of, of doing something that just rips your guts out if you're their fans as well. So here we get to the 10th inning. They don't win the game. And then just just like a movie, we have a rain delay. Okay, so now we're going to prolong this agony even more. 17-minute rain delay before uh, I knew what was going to happen. And let me tell you why I knew it was going to happen, D. Because it has, it has nothing to do with the baseball game and of itself that I knew the Cubs were going to win. Prior to game seven, we had something that happened in the NFL. What happened in the NFL is we had back-to-back ties, okay? The last time we had back-to-back ties in the NFL was in 1997. In 1997, the Cleveland Indians lost the World Series in seven games to the, to the Ben Florida Marlins. And guess what we have in the 2016? Back-to-back NFL ties. So what happened last night already <laughs> – uh, preconceived and, and, and known. And I, and, and I wasn't surprised, but I am happy for 
the Chicago Cubs. I'm happy for that fan base. 108 years is a long time to wait for a champion, you know. So Lions fans, we ain't got but another 40 uh, plus 45 years to wait before you get one. So just hang <laughs> up, hang tough. It's coming. But I'm happy for that fan base. You know, anytime you can win a championship and get off the snide, uh, it, it, it's wonderful. And congratulations to the Cubs. They were deserved it. They were the best team in baseball for most of the year. Uh, and, uh, it, it, again, it was great theater, and it was a very exciting, uh, entertaining game to watch. Well, you know, one of the things that, that threw me off was I felt like Madden was out thinking the room. I felt like he should have stayed with, with Hamilton one more inning. I felt like he should have stayed with Lester for one more out. You know, I felt like, you know, it's like he was just a little bit off on all his decisions. And, and um, do you think both those managers at points last night were just out thinking of Roman, not really, you know, sometimes you got to let those players win it. Uh, especially the Hamilton one. I mean, how, right, Hamilton, how how how'd you think he handled him? You know what? I really believe that, especially with uh, Joe Madden, I, I, I really do think that he I, – you know, I think you're spot on. I think his gut – first of all, he's one of these kind of managers that I actually like. You know, in this world mm-hmm. of baseball where everything is sabermetrics and numbers and everything, he really – he really does manage from his gut. He does some unconventional things, and he's and and mm-hmm. that's what's made him the manager that he is. But he managed last night like he had indigestion because he was doing a lot of stuff that <laughs> I'm just telling you, he was doing stuff that didn't make sense. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know Araldus Chapman. It throws 103 miles an hour, but my God, okay, for for you to do what he to do for him to do what he did with that pitcher. You know, that would have been the narrative today had the the Cubs lost. Why in the world did you use your pitching staff the way you used your pitching staff? And the same thing with Tito, you know, Francona. You know, what, what happened mm-hmm. was he just ran out of horses. I mean, clearly the Cubs was a more talented team. But, you know, he just ran out of horses where, you know, you're, you're asking yourself, you got a five-run lead uh, last night or two nights ago. And you're using Chapman for multiple innings. I mean, that to me didn't make any sense. And then you bring him back again early. I mean, you got a three-run lead. I mean, the man's arm was going to fall off. And and to, and just you're absolutely right. Use your pitchers. Use your pitchers wisely, especially when you. I think that a lot of that was he was overthinking. I think for both of those managers, they kind of got caught up in the moment a little bit. And how could you mm-hmm. not blame them for that? Both of them was was managing history. Uh, I think I expected a little bit more from Francona because he had already gone through it in Boston. But uh, I, but I, you know, just I will give Madden uh, uh, credit for moving Siegler up in the lineup, though. But because uh, that was a big mm-hmm. move and it paid off. But that yeah, he 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 rode he rode that uh, Rawls Chapman horse right into the ground, literally. Okay, that horse is now glued this morning. <laughs> and, and Baez, my goodness, he was—he was—I mean, he came back. He, he came back and got that home run. But I, I think he, I mean, he was fumbling and mis—you know—you know, mishandling uh, ground ball things that he normally would be. I mean, it was just so many folks were 
uh, time to, uh, to 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 you know give it away, and, and you, know, you could have had goats, and but it, because it was such a great game, you weren't looking at Cleveland like well somebody messed up or whatever. It was just one of those games where you know the Cubs won it. You know they all gave each other a chance, but you know it wasn't you didn't have one of those moments where someone would be remembered for you know a mistake they made, um, and it just ended. And I tell you what, let me say with, this. With let me, let me fans, say this. Go ahead. I, I mean, I think that you, you listen. If you're watching this series, if you're in this series, okay, it, how can you not get caught up? Uh, you, we, we both play sports. We both play for some semblance of a championship. But this was a lot of baseball history that was being played in this World Series. Both managers, both both uh, benches understood what was at stake. Okay, uh, you're talking about with the with the Cleveland Indians. You're talking about what is it? Some 48 years or something to that effect. Where they since they've won. To when you're talking about uh, or, or longer, 60 something. You were talking about 108 years with the Chicago Cubs. You, it's hard not to have that in the back of your head in a game seven. And I do believe that they kind of got caught up in that, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they weren't consciously thinking that way with some of the moves they were making. But you saw a lot of stuff that, even with the players, you know, I I I, I wonder if you why you, when you had a Hayward on third base for a chance to go the go ahead run with less than two outs, are you now with Baez? Why are you not? He, he, why are you not letting him try to put the ball in play instead of trying to run a squeeze in the ninth inning? Or, yeah. You know, stupid like yeah. that. That was the most boneheaded play I had ever seen. And I'm telling you, the Cubs are lucky that they won because Joe Madden would have been scrutinized by some real questionable stuff down the stretch in that game. He had the horses that got yeah. them got over the top, but he made some moves that you know people would have been. He, he'd have been right there with the Bartmans and the Goats and everybody else with some of those decisions that he made down the stretch. Yeah, I think that was I think that was the difference of last night game. Rather than it was like a player that wasn't going to make a play, the scrutiny was going to be with the managers. He was already determined from the sixth inning on. Whatever was going to happen, the scrutiny was going to be on the on the managers, not the players. Given exactly. that, Madden's a Hall of, Madden's your Hall of Famer. His first Super well, his first you know uh, World Series. Is it Hall of Famer or no? I I, I the jury's still out. I'm going to say no. Uh, and here's why I say no, okay? It wasn't Madden that put that team together, okay? The Hall of Famer is Theo Epstein, all right? Theo Epstein or the Ann Sullivan from the Miracle Worker with Helen Keller, okay? Uh, he cloned. Who, he, I'm just telling you, he needs to be cloned. And he needs to find, and they need to put a, they need to put a gene for each sport. Made out of Theo Epstein. This man has killed two curses, man. Okay, I think about the magnitude of, of 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 the body of work of what he's done. And I'm not. I don't want to get off too much, but I want to just say that's what you need to look at. But Joe Madden, yeah, he's he's coached uh, and done a very good job when he was at Tampa. He happens to be the manager of record uh, with the Cubs. With me. If he wins another one with the Cubs, then I think you you call him Hall of Fame caliber. But you know he he was in the right place at the right time. To me, it's like saying would you call Terry Francona a Hall of Famer? Okay, because he coached the Boston Red he he managed the Boston Red Sox 
in 2004 than won it again. Okay, would you call him a Hall of Famer? I think you've got more of an argument for him versus you would with Joe Madden because now he has done he's gotten a, a second team to the uh, World Series, the Cleveland Indians. All right, and had he won, he would have been a lock. So I think for Joe Madden, yeah, yeah I, think I would say I would say he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I would say. I, I, yeah. I, I would agree with you. I, I would say I would say that Frank Conan is a Hall of Famer, just in the fact right. that he got to that seventh game with two different teams, um, and you know when he won those those World Series, he he, ran, he won them against some tough teams in that division to get out and then go to World Series. Um, right. I mean, and then he's proven that you know when he moved and then came back and beat his old team, who was hot. Right. Um, right. The, the road to it was enough to. Him because of that. You're right. I think Madden, if Madden wins next year, this one was for Theo's Hall of Fame. Uh, right. Next year would be for Madden's Hall of Fame. I agree. Because keeping these guys focused and keeping them not too hyped because they're young and getting back there is going to require more of his work than Theo's work. I mean, Theo's going to have to keep tweaking, but you got you got a young nucleus that you can ride. Um, and, you know, you got to continue to get some veterans around them. But, you know, managing that. Managing expectations and all that is going to require a manager like Madden to to get them back in that space. Right. Mm. You know, right. You, I, right. I, I, will, I do I do want to what? say this though about the Cubs. Now that they have now exercised the demons of the goat and Bartman and everything over there on that side of town in Chicago, you know, now their narrative changes. Okay, where they were once the lovable losers. Okay, keep in mind a, a, a few tidbits about the Chicago Cubs that we really didn't pay a lot of attention to before this season. This team is in a big market, okay? They've got money. They've won a World Series. Okay, for years, their fans, they were the lovable losers. Now they're World Series champs. This team could now become one of the most hated teams in baseball. It's going to be funny to see how that plays out. Why? Because they're winners and they're talented, and they're young, and now they know how to win a world championship. And it's no different than the um, Boston Red Sox and the sympathy that a lot of sports fans had for them for trying to win the World Series. That sympathy is now gone out the window. For Boston, they're Eric and SOBs like everybody else. So it's going to be funny to see how the Cubs now are able to handle that new title of world champions and probably one of the more hated teams other than the lovable losers. Now baseball, I think did like a, I mean the World Series game seven did like a twenty six in the ratings. You know what? What do you think? All this energy around baseball has staying power. Do you think there's new viewers who have come in to the under the baseball you know umbrella under their uh, under the tent in that sense? Um, you know NFL is struggling, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a, in a little bit, but but. You know, it just felt like there was a lot of different energy around baseball. And I think people found that, you know, saw a different side of baseball, saw the entertainment, saw the personalities, you know, even, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, uh, roles in them, you know, as a commentator, a lot of energy. People liked the way that they uh, were a crew. In, in the same way that some of the, the, the football um, you know, shows are getting, you know, you know, they had some staying power. Or in the NBA, you have. TNT guys, it seemed like, um, you know, that group of Rodriguez and, and um, uh, uh, Rose and those guys really, uh, and Frank Thomas, 
you know, along with just the production of baseball, seem like people are reacting pretty well to it. What's your opinion on that, somebody who's kind of been watching the game and wondering about his growth? I agree. I think that with the advent of the Major League uh, Baseball Network, the MLB Network, and them really reaching out to ex-ball players to give their perspective on what the game is going on, uh, to be able to – in shows like Baseball Tonight where now you've got more ex-baseball players, they're not just commentators. They're actually, they've actually taken the page from the NFL, you know, and bringing these players on, putting them, you know, on, on camera and giving you – a inside look at what's happening, things that maybe the casual fan doesn't don't realize what's going on in baseball, really taking you into the mindset of these major leaguers, you know, as they go through a season, as they go through the playoffs. The other thing baseball has done, which was a brilliant move, was uh, adding an, a second wild card. What that did was it made more teams uh, watchable. Later in the season, once upon a time, you know, it's deep, you only had uh, four divisions, okay? You had the East and the West and the West, okay? So you had two teams out of East, out of each league that make the playoffs, okay? Now you've expanded that down, and you've got a one-in-the-game playoff. So baseball becomes relevant after the All-Star break all the way through to the World Series, okay? You're watching playoff baseball at the end of September, and your team is in it, and there is a fight to get to that spot all the way through the second half of the season. That has made baseball palatable for a lot longer than it has been. That's one thing. And your teams are in it, and people are watching baseball to the very end. So then once, you, once you've got that going on, then you roll through to the playoffs. And then the playoffs become very, very entertaining because you have to play, especially the one-game playoff, Okay. And so now the strategies and everything that these other networks are doing, they're making it very exciting, you know, for the fans to to stay in the game. And then the players themselves are educating your casual fan, okay, on the the TV. They're able to say this is what he's thinking right here. This is what they're doing right now. And it's not just all numbers, okay. You got these guys, again, I'm going to go back to those those sabermetricians. That's not what the casual fan gives a damn about. Okay, I want to know what he's thinking about. They want to know about some of those, you know, things that's going on in their head, some of those superstitious things they're doing and why they're doing them. That's what keeps the casual fan intrigued, and that's what you got going on with baseball. And, again, it starts in July after the All-Star break, and it rolls all the way through to the World Series, and that's what you sell. And when you got two teams that everybody know by the time the World Series shows up, that they ain't want a damn thing, you know, since Moses was a baby, then yeah, you got their attention. <laughs> you gonna mess around, have RJ call up here and keep messing with the. <laughs> I know he's gonna call up here. <laughs> he and him went through this. I told him, I said, baseball is a gut sport. That's what makes it fun. What you saw last night proved my point to the T. You saw two managers playing gut baseball. Now, did you see some mistakes? Of course you did, because they're played by human beings. People would have lost their mind. Well, why didn't you bring so-and-so in? Well, because he's such-and-such as the percentages show. So he sat on the bench when you could have used him? Use those players. At the end of the day, I don't care how many mathematicians you put in your front office, it's still played in the dirt, okay? And sometimes you got to trust your instincts. You just can't go pull out a calculator or an iPad or whatever technology you want to use and play the game. The only time that's good is on PlayStation. Get over it. 
Well, and I think and even things that they use like uh, replay. I thought the timing. I thought they got the they got the call quick. They got it. Got the game moving. Um, but I, you know, it's one of the things. I, I mean, I think it's funny that we do have this proliferation of use of data in sports and stuff like that. But you know, coaches have always used data. You, you know, it might not have been as sophisticated, but they've always they always use tendencies. They always do that. But you you have to. Data can only get you into the stadium and the ballpark. At some at some point, you have to use qualitative analysis, and that's the gut and some of these other things that allow for you to contextualize it. And so, you know, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think we swung the pendulum too far the other way. If that were true, then, you know, the A's would win every year or uh, uh, Houston Rockets uh, would, would, would win every year. But at a certain point, there's certain instincts, you know, things that get you combinations, but you got to be able to look at somebody's eyes. You got to get Thank a sense you. of how leadership plays. All these things play an important part um, in this. If you're just going to run by the numbers, you can be solid. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you're going to use if you're going to use data analysis, it's kind of like Stan Van Gogh's Gundy's coaching. It'll get you to the finals, but it won't win it because at exactly. a certain point. You got to know who's going to make that shot. At a certain point, you got to use some of that Zen master stuff that Jack could use or Chuck Daly used in their gut to know to push that button that's going to make Isaiah do it. You know, it's one of those things that you got to know. That's something you got to know about your players. You got to know how they respond to things. All those things, all those things matter. So that's my little uh, 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 chime in on that. You listen to. one mic on the Real Sports Guys platform. I'm here with my guy, Hank. Uh, this is Devon Wilson. Uh, we're enjoying it. We talk a little bit about, obviously, the Cubs win. Uh, we were down. I was down there doing a little bit of I call Facebook Live RSG uh, session with my guy, Mo Red, who's been a contributor on, on the RSG platform. We are at Murphy's. Thanks to all the folks at Murphy's. They were good to us. We had a good time with all the folks down there. Uh, they had a good time after it was all over. It was just good to be a part of the atmosphere. You know, I cannot remember myself really getting excited about baseball, feeling good about it being in a space in baseball like that in a long time. And one of the things I really love about um, since doing this work and creating this platform and really being um, pushing um, the inside the park segment and being in there, it's really kind of helped me get back in the game. And I feel like baseball added some more fans. Um, I think the Cubs are actually good for baseball. It's a middle America team. It's got a broad reach, kind of like the Green Bay Packers or the Pittsburgh Steelers or whatever. You got these folks who are all over the country uh, because they had grandparents. The only thing that they could see is WGN and in the Cubbies, whether they lived in California or whatever, because we didn't have cable. And so some of these families have been indoctrinated. You know, the story about the young man who drove from North Carolina to Indianapolis to listen to the game at his father's grave. I mean, that's the kind of stories that come out of these Cubs stuff. My my boy Bob O'Brada, a good friend of mine from Streeter, Illinois, on Facebook, kissing his little bear cubby, whatever uh, a frame that I, I remember him having in his office. Um, and uh, that moment, I know how much it meant to him. You know, he's, he and he played college baseball, loved baseball, but he loves his Cubs. So I think that's good for the sport, and uh, we'll keep track. And, you know, it's great to have somebody like Hank who is carrying a flag for us on RSG and, um, and, you know, we're going to be doing some winter ball stuff with one mic and, and with the inside the park. Um, we're going to be trying to get some more folks calling in uh, who uh, we can do some interviews in terms of stretching into that MLB piece. But, 
Hank, we're going to wrap it up, man. But, you know, your final thoughts, man, on the season um, uh, before we before we move into our next segment. Well, you know what? Again, it's, it's been a wonderful baseball season. I don't think it could have ended any better. You know, it, in, in a year where we've had so many tragedies, either in the entertainment industry, in the sports industry, to see two historic baseball clubs uh, go to a seven-game uh, team, we have a 3-1 lead. We knew that somebody was going to win something that they hadn't won in a long, long time. And it is poetic justice. You know, it is baseball uh, theater, baseball poetry, to watch the Chicago Cubs, the beloved Cubbies, the lovable, lovable losers, finally get that, you know, reach, reach the top, reach the summit. You know, I really feel good for them as a baseball fan, you know, for the Ernie Bankses out there, you know, for the Ryan Sandbergs out there, you know, for the, for the, Bar- for the Steve Bartmans out there. Congratulations. You very well deserve it. I hope, and I hope they, they, they invite Steve Bartman to be on uh, one of the floats. Um, that would be a great gesture of kind of getting him reconnected uh, to his Cubs. When we come back, one mic with myself and Hank, brought to you by Carbon World Health, who uh, uh, is responsible for all the what you hear on the on the, they are sponsors for our 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 RC hotline, Carbon World Health, uh, Whitney Way in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, when you go over there, talk to Dr. Rodriguez and all the folks. Let them know the RC guy sent you. Uh, but when we come back, this is the political season, and Russell Westbrook just released his scorched earth policy, and he's burning up the NBA. When we come back, we got Russell talk. It's like he's playing angry. 
And tonight he sees his old blood, his brother. It's like a Star Wars kind of thing. You know, siblings get broken up. One goes evil. The other one goes to fight the force. And then they show up with the, the sabers. They, they're like in a dark kind of hallway. And you're trying to figure out who's going to get their arm cut off. Man, I can't wait for this one. It's on TNT because the right way, so you know the fellas got a lot to say about them. I don't know if you've been paying attention uh, uh, to it, Hank, but man, Russell Westbrook is not playing. <laughs> he, he he's definitely coming out with something to prove. We we're, we're watching that. Uh, the concern I have with Westbrook, and and you know, if if you want to watch it, if if there's any early season game that you want to watch, if you haven't gotten yourselves into NBA mode yet, this will probably get you there. Okay, you've got the Warriors going against uh, the Thunder. Okay, outside of the the drama we already know about Durant going to Golden State, it's just the fact that. The Thunder had a 3-1 lead on this team, okay, the last time we saw them, all right, and they end up losing, okay, uh, and, and we know that Golden State went on to the finals and we know the rest of that narrative. But, you know, th- there's always that, that talk, well, we didn't know you, you, you weren't coming back. Well, I'm trying to win, all that stuff. So we're going to see that tonight, and you're going to see probably the best of Russell Westbrook because that's what he does. But we've seen this before, and I would caution, you know, the Thunder. Okay, this is one game out of 82. You know, you cannot be a scorched earth in the first week of the season. Okay, otherwise you're going to scorch yourself right out into a cinder. So, you know, I, I hope that while he is on a mission, that he learns from past mistakes of blowing out your whole se- a whole season and not having nothing left for the playoffs. I'm going to tell you right now. So, <laughs> Russell walks into – so, you know, Kevin Durant uh, loves to be – you know, he, he takes out the pictures. He was at Super Bowl. He had a credential with, you know, taking the pictures. So, Russell walked into Oracle with this <laughs> with a shirt on that says, he's the official photographer. And so they think he's taking a shot at <laughs> He's like he's the official photographer, you the fake top photographer. Man, what's up with these young cats trying to be like Drake's liminal messages? Just come on say what you mean, mean what you say. You know what I'm saying? I know <laughs> all this liminal I, I think I'm talking about you. I ain't really talking about you. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Look, you know, see, you should have just put you, Durant on the back of the got, shirt got, and an official photographer. Huh? Yeah, but when you got social media like that and you can just throw out little subliminals all the time, leave the rest of the world talking about what the hell are they talking about? I, I don't, I don't get it. So, but you, you guys, it, it, but, but what it does is, what they, they, they're getting what out of it, what they want to get out of it. You got to go find mm. out, and now you, now you're caught. Now you're all sucked up into it. It's great theater. It's great theater, man. It's great theater, but man, these cats. Ooh, it might. I don't know. It's gonna be in in, in Gold State's had a slow start, so yeah. You know, uh, it's all it's all just it's, it's it's how they gonna handle the pressure. And I said this. The one thing about Gold State is that they didn't get what they needed last year. 
All Kevin no. does is give them more of what they already got. And exactly. th- that wasn't what they were missing last year. They were missing are some other things. And so, it, you know, it, it looks shiny when you first look at it. But, you know, if you think about the things he does well, they already have some of those things. So, you know, what it, what is it, it that it, he does well that they didn't have? They didn't address anything that 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 caused them to lose a 3-1 lead and a chance to win another championship with 73 wins, okay? They were abysmal in the paint. You hear me? They were abysmal. Yeah. Me, when I could have done a better job, okay? And I'm in my flip-flops right now, okay, in the paint. <laughs> they were awful, all right? If you watch the end, if you are a basketball purist, and even if you're not, if you watch the end of the finals last year, and you watch what Golden State did on their last three or four possessions, you would have screamed from your lungs. There was there, you just you you would have lost your mind. Okay, they didn't address that this year. They didn't address the fact that they have no low post presence worth a crap. That they have none of that. They go and get another perimeter uh, potential slasher. Okay, and that's not going to get it done. And they came out looking flat. Okay, and I do believe that, you know, and, and I'm surprised at Steve Kerr. Okay, I'm surprised at Steve Kerr. He came from knowing how to, you know, what, what it takes to get in the paint and, and, and a championship pedigree. I'm surprised at him that, that, that this is what, and I know this is the NBA now, but, you know, you just got beat by a team that, that, that plays the way you know you need to play in the playoffs. So you're absolutely right. They didn't address it's all shiny and it's pretty, and they might look good again in the regular season, but when the playoff season comes again, here we go. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. So as we start looking at the season, I know it's pretty early. You know, are there some teams that surprise you, are sleepers to think about? I mean, when I look at this, maybe I'll start with this. I mean, when I'm – one of the things to uh, – that surprised me, at least in their beginning, is kind of how the Bulls are starting out. And one of the things I said about the Bulls, because people, even though they didn't put the right pieces, everybody criticized the right piece, the one thing they forget about D-Wade is his leadership and what his leadership can do for helping to develop that stuff in practice, their approach, a lot of things that he's going to come into the locker room already being able to do. And the one thing, when you get a focus Rondo, a whole bunch of things can happen. I think D-Wade's the kind of cat. There's very few cats that can focus Rondo. And I think D-Wade is one of those guys that can do it. So the Bulls the Bulls have, I think they're going to be solid once they get some of the young players. Do I think they're going to make noise in the East? No, but I think that it's something you can build on. And even as their vets get a little bit older, he they're going to help mature some of the young folks um, that, that I think – uh, will need to happen down the stretch. The other team that I think um, over the season um, will will get better um, will be Minnesota. I think as they begin to learn how to play and get get used to what what Thibodeau wants them to do. You know, right now they're low in the power rankings, but I think part of that is just learning how to play and Thibodeau. I think they might end up. Um, uh, 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 moving a couple pieces in the season to clear up some space for some of the young cats to come into play. Uh, but I, I think 
um, when it's all said and done, I think by December, I mean by January, they'll start to learn how to play and really be able to, to get there. So, don't look for, you know, a sweeper from the east and a sweeper from the west. I think those two are interesting uh, kind of folks. You know, when I look at it, you know, the, the team that I'm calling a sleeper right now and again is really early. So we can only go by the last time we kind of saw them, right? And when you look at the west, there was one team that was very talented, pushed the uh, Warriors a little bit, and, I, and they're going to be my sleeper, and that's and that's Portland. You know, I, I like yeah. what I saw out of Portland. You know, they got off to they're getting off to a slow start this year, but that's a team that you, you might just want to keep an eye on. Was it was it fool's gold, or is that a, is that an up and comer? Okay, with them, just keep an eye on them. They look very talented, look very strong, and I like any team that can play in the paint, and I think they can play in the paint. You know they got a, they got a budding superstar over there, so I'm looking for them to 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 make a push. When I go to the East, and again you you make a you make a valid make a valid argument for for Chicago. You know they were a very dysfunctional family over there when they had Derrick Rose, and um, he couldn't stay healthy. He didn't act like he wanted to play even when he was. Um, you know, in my opinion, okay. But the team yeah. I'm looking at in the East. Is a team that that pushed slightly. Uh, the 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 Cavaliers really the only team that pushed the Cavaliers in the East was Toronto. No one's talking about yeah. Toronto. They they play north of the border, you know. But that's the only team that really kind of gave Cleveland fits. Now when I say push, I don't mean win. But when you're looking at the East, which in my opinion is weak, very weak, with the exception of Cleveland. But that's going to be the one team I think that might give them some pitch, or they're going to probably be the second team that's coming that's going to uh, be legitimate in the East. Yeah, I mean, and the Roses is getting off to a, a really strong start for them. You know, I, you know, it's another one of those guys. Sometimes you watch these teams where these guys play in the Olympics, and you know, they spent you know those practices sharpening their saw against you know great competition, probably you know better workouts than they would get by themselves. And I think, you know, DeRozan has definitely benefited from that and uh, had a really strong start to the beginning of this year uh, to get it off. And so I, I think they learned a lot last year about, you know, how they needed to uh, approach uh, winning in the playoffs, you know, when you try to play at that level. Um, you know, a lot of that's going to depend on, you know, are they going to become, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a regular season style of play and then there's, you know, a playoff style of play. And as teams mature, uh, they understand how to build in some of that playoff style play within the season for themselves because they know at the end of the day they got to be ready to play that kind of style, um, you know, once the playoffs start going. And I think the biggest challenge for uh, for the Raptors is their style, and it could be fool's goal, their style works against probably 80% of the teams in the league. Right, right. When their style so, – but it does, it's not going to work against the San Antonio's, the Cleveland's. It's some of these people who are elite, elite defensive teams, you can't be ball dominant. It just overpower people because of your athleticism or because you're not going to be more talented than them. So I think that's their biggest challenge is that can they fi- get those tough buckets? Can they find a, a, a third or fourth consistent score? Um, and the other thing about Rosen is – 
which I see a little bit of this, is can they uh, extend their range? A lot of times you got to make the game easy for yourself. And I think because, you know, he's basically a mid-range jump shooter and slasher, that wears you out in the playoffs. You're going to take a lot of banging. And, you know, even LeBron realized, even in that Golden State, when it changed, when LeBron just started trusting his jump shot, he started getting mm-hmm. easier buckets and he opened the floor up. And I think um, part of it is going to be Toronto. Those Toronto players are going to have to uh, find a way to get a third or fourth score and find a way to get easy buckets. Everything in the playoffs for them looked like they're working so hard for it. Right, um, right. And versus versus when you watch Cleveland and Golden State and these other teams, because they use so much ball movement, you know, they, they push the ball to the open person right away. So I think those are the things that you look for. I like Toronto. I mean, you know, you know, Casey does a really good job with those guys up there, those youngins. He's got some good pieces, uh, but you know to go to that next level, you know that's the part that they're gonna have to work on right now. Like they can't wait till the second half to work on. They need to be building those habits right now. So by the time they get to the playoffs, they're running. Mm-hmm. So NBA is off and running. I'm feeling good about it. The NFL, man, ratings a little, a little bit. And uh, it's a great article uh, that they they. Uh, talk to Sherman, and Sherman says he thinks it's down because uh, it's, it, there's no fun. That is, that, that, and when you, you watch baseball, I think one of the clear thing about watching a World Series and you watch them, there's a lot of fun and energy. Um, but just baseball has there's 162 games, but those guys are practical jokers, whatever. It just seems like the guys Basketball players have a lot of individuality. Even when a lot of this stuff happened the climate-wise, there seems to be a good relationship between the NBA Players Association and the league. Football, and I heard Mike Greenberg saying this, the problem is the people who are complaining the most about the product are the players. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ratings are down. So, I mean, what do you think? What do you think about it? Is this just a blip? Is it a political season? Is it just, you know, we're going to see something different next year? What's your feeling about it? Are, are, is, is Sherman right? Is it the no fun league? He, he, he is right. And the leader? problem is because base, uh, football, NFL stands for the no fun league, okay? And you make a valid point. You've got to make the game entertaining for the people that are spending their hard-earned money to come out and watch you play, all right? You've made some – think about the NBA, Think about the personalities in the NBA. Think about the personalities in Major League Baseball. Think about how those teams embrace those communities, okay? Think about college football. Think about uh, the pageantry and everything that goes along with the collegiate football game, okay? Now, you think about the NFL. It is the quintessential corporate league, okay, where you're laying your body on the line, but if you show any sort of emotion, you're penalized for it, okay? The league is a cookie-cutter league, all right? Anytime you've got back-to-back games where, where it's 6-6, six to 27-27, six, the there's, there's nothing exciting about it. And then you want to throw in the other narrative that goes on with the NFL, and that's all of the noise off the field. People get turned off. People go and watch football, basketball, hockey for the game, 
for the sport, for the name on the front of the jersey, all right? They go to be entertained. There is so much noise around the NFL. There's so much where the players, you know, are, are, are treated as many corporations versus teams, camaraderie. You just don't see a lot of fun. And people sense that. People sense that, okay? We talked a little bit about it last week. But watch an NFL game after you've watched a full – you, you you watch college football just like I do, like I do. But watch mm-hmm. college football all day on Saturday. I challenge anybody out there, just watch it. You're a football fan. Watch college football from sunup to sundown, okay? Then on Sunday, turn around and watch NFL. I promise you'll be asleep at halftime. It is that different. <laughs> You'll be asleep at halftime. But how many folks stayed up after that rain delay and watched Game 7? There was there was drama. There was joy. After those teams won, you saw real emotion. And and that and that is a problem. The NFL, and with, with all the noise that the captains, like we, we, we spent two weeks talking about Kaepernick. Then you talk about the flake gate. Then you talk about domestic violence. And that's too much for people who's just trying to get away and watch a game. Think about that. We go to sports to relief. If we, and, if, and if our sports becomes reality, then it's not fun. And I'm going to go somewhere where I can get away. And I think that is a big that is a big problem for the NFL because guess what? It's an election season for football. I mean, for the for, the, for rest of these sports too, and they're not struggling. You listen to the real sports guys. One mic. This is Hank and Devon. Right now we're talking about a little about, you know, what the problem is with the NFL. And, you know, I think you hit on I was thinking about this today, and, and, and this will make sense to you. But for a lot of young folks who are, I would say, under 25, this may not be their reality. But anytime you play football outside, you want to get your hands on the ball because you want to be the first one to do the Billy White Johnson move or you want to hey. do – uh, you want to do the quake or you wanted to do the icky shuffle, you know, that's what you talked about when you were on the playground, you know, you score, you score that touchdown and flag football, tackle football out there and you start doing the icky, you know, none of that is, is part of they're taken away from that. And that is what builds your fan base. And, right. um, and there's no real reason why you do it. And so, you know, I think that's the that's the part that um, you know makes me struggle a little bit on this is that I think and they don't they can't get out of their way. It's like Silver is beating them at every turn. You know, he's 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 beating them at every turn. He's building a, a positive relationship with the player association. You know, they're trying to make sure everybody get paid. You know, obviously the owners gonna get their stuff. But, you know, basketball seems like it's in a very healthy place. Baseball seems like it's getting there. Uh, they got the strongest yeah. union. Um, it, but football just seems like the owners don't see some investment in their players or opportunities to market their players as a good thing. And I, some of that might come from the way in which coaches view the team. You get the people like Belichick, and it's like there's no I in team. You get this culture around it that pushes away from, um, you know, uh, what they think individualism is going to do to the game. And I say you can still 
regulate to some sense some of those things. But when they crossed that goal line, I mean, what what, what was better? There were there's people all over the country doing the doing the uh, doing the peppers, where he got that return and then he went across the he, he went across the uh, goal line like he was in a track, like right. nothing was better than that. I was in the office like, who's this? <laughs> right. You know, and right. everybody knew who it was. You, you know, and I think that's one of the big issues. It's a huge issue. It's it, it's a major issue because there, there, there's no emotion in the game. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no emotion in a football game. And if you show any emotion, you're flagged. And, you know, it, it, it becomes boring, you know, and, and, and fans clamor for it. You know, you've got people like Cam Newton who's trying to bring fun back to the game somehow. And all of a sudden they want to call him a ham. He's drawing attention to himself. Okay. But the people down in Carolina love him. You know why? Because, yeah, he wins, but in the same token, he's trying to bring something to the game, and it's not there. And you have NFL players that tell you they love the game, but the game is not fun for them. Why is it not fun for them? Because it's too much like work, okay? And when your work becomes a job, then I don't need it no more. And I think that's what you see. You see a lot of guys going into the NFL with a lot of enthusiasm, and it's not fun. It's not fun, and but but you know you got folks that try to watch it, and the NFL is doing stupid stuff to try to bring people fat back. You know, like color rush uniforms. What the hell has that got to do with the product on the field? Okay, so everybody looks like clowns now, but ain't nobody laughing. You know, I mean, you hear me? I mean, come on. I mean, I don't know who's making these decisions. Let the guys play the game the way it's intended to be played. Chances are they won't get hurt as bad. Chances are if you re- if you re- release some of this tension, let these guys just play football. We'll get a more. You you brought up Billy White Shoes Johnson. You brought up Icky Woods. You brought up an era when football was fun. Okay, when it was fun to watch. When you had great players able to play with that passion, able to play with that enthusiasm. They weren't just corporations. And and you saw some great football at the professional level, and now you don't. Anytime you can't think of the top ten quarterbacks without being eh, because everybody sucks because everybody's the same. You know that tells you something. Running backs or any well, other. Well, I mean, look. Yeah, I mean, you had what? You you had Arian Foster and Andre Johnson just retired midseason. Right. Right. They just walked away. Uh-huh. And these guys are doing a better job of taking care of the money so they can walk away. You're right. So you're losing your talent a little bit earlier than you anticipated. Yep. Right. So, so that, that to me is a major problem. As much as, people, as much as people want to think they're walking away because of the injury factor, I disagree. I really yep. think that it has everything to do with the fact that it's not fun anymore. Okay? I look at baseball. Look, look at, look at, look at uh, David Ortiz. Now, now, granted, I'm not taking nothing from the physical element of football. I'm not saying that, but they, but they know what what the what the inherent risk is of playing football, okay? And you had guys like Jackie Slater back in the day that played until their 40s, all right? Hall of Famer. You had oh, they played because they loved the game, not because they needed to get paid. They loved the game, okay? You got guys in baseball that's playing well into their 40s. Okay, you had a guy, uh, uh, Ross, last night 
oldest man to hit a home run, okay, in, in, uh, in, uh, last night. Come on. But in the NFL, you had guys that played until they late 30. It's not fun for them anymore. When you got passion for the sport, you'll put your body on the line. These guys don't want to play because it's not fun. That's the way I'm looking at it. That's why they're walking away. Percussions didn't just That's start. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have any more lines like this. Like, get it out. Can't wait. Like, that was the moment. When yeah. he did that, at the end of that game and came up and said that, to me, I mean, that was, that's the attitude, that's the barato, that's the, the personality. And people have been saying that forever. You know, right. we take away that we, like, we ball it up and, and, and they don't have that emotion. You know, I, I think oh. that, you know, the NFL, you know, it's hard because they have a structure and a group of folks who are so privileged who are making decisions, they can't see it. Right. They, they can't right. see it. It's not like NFL folks who, a lot of those guys who are in leadership, Adam Silver, those guys, they came, they had an orientation in some of these cultures that allow for them to see this stuff in ways that a lot of those NFL execs, and there's some aspect about the NFL that has so much of the privilege of society in a way that doesn't have them exposure connected to diversity and a whole bunch of other things that would get them to see why this is important. You know, some mm-hmm. of the people are blamed, you know, some of the protests, the protests and some of the Colin Kaepernick stuff as contributing to it. Um, but those same protests in a, are in the NBA, and that made them even more popular. Right, <laughs> you know, WNBA had more eyeballs on it. So why is it only a negative impact on the NFL? So there's a lot of, of I think pieces here that we need to pay attention to, you know. Or this could be a blip in the record. You know, we don't next year we don't have the Olympics. I mean, you don't have the um, uh, the uh, presidential elections. You know, you don't have one more thing that's eaten up. You know, maybe we see the numbers go back up um, in ways that you know may lead to say this was just a blip in. Um, you know, football's back. But I got to feel there's some permanent stuff that's been happening. The rise in the NBA, uh, MLB getting a little bit uh, uh, chip away here, um, some of the other things. I think, you know, I think there's something that they need to start, you know, uh, uh, paying attention to so that, you know, uh, they can try to counter this. But I just don't know if they have – they have so many blind spots in some of their key people, key places. You know, I don't know if they're even going to see it. When we come back, we're going to talk college football. A lot going on, and you know Hank's going to have a lot to say. That's his thing. He loves him some, 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 some college football. You know that he's going to, you know, uh, uh, you know he, he, he's, going, he's going to hit you hard with it because this, this is a space where he's going to be going off. A lot's happening uh, 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 in, uh, in college football. We had the first, I think, rate, uh, rankings come out. And, uh, you know, he might start out with something I like this. I don't have facts to back this up. But then he'll say what he's going to say. So you know that's <laughs> going to happen there. Uh, uh, come to, uh, with you. It, it might force us to to, 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 to bring out. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all have not met cocaine. <clears throat> and, and Hank and I might be going back and forth on a number of things. You know, but we, we usually agree on some stuff. You know, we, we, we might not go too hard on each other, but. It's college football. We come back. This is uh, one mic on a real sports guys platform brought to you by Carbon World Health, where you can train like a pro. 
located on Whitney Way in Madison, Wisconsin. Go see Dr. Rodriguez and the folks. Let them know that the Real Sports Guys sent you over there to just, you know, get you get stuff, you know, get your medical spa treatment, get your medical spa on so that you can feel good about it. All right, we'll talk to you when we come back. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the Real Sports Guys. Whoopig. Sure about Washington, um, I don't think which that, really I don't surprises think me. 
I don't think that's the case at all. I'm going to tell you what I think. First of all, you do have a little bit of a Big Ten SEC bias because that's who everybody see. Uh, that's who everybody talks about. Uh, the darling of the uh, Pac-12 was Stanford. Stanford fell quickly, okay, and they fell fast. So I think the narrative, again, is not so much that they're not sure about Washington, but that Stanford wasn't as good as they thought they were going to be, so now they're gun-shy. They're saying now when you look up and you see a, a weak Arizona, a weak Arizona State, the darling of the Pac-12 for years is Oregon, and they're terrible. Okay, so now you're looking at teams like Washington, uh, um, Colorado, Utah, you know, being the teams in the Pac-12. You look at USC that fell hard, fast, early. Okay, so that's the problem. The problem with Washington are the teams around them. Okay, that did not uh, uh, that did not uh, meet expectations. They're a very good football team if you watch them play. But that's what that's the problem with Washington. A&M right now is because they're only lost to the number one team in the nation, all right, and they've got a couple of good wins on their schedule now when you look at the fact that they beat Auburn and the fact that they beat Tennessee. I think they're a fraud, but I think that because of their, their only loss is to Alabama, that's what that's all about. Uh, you look at Michigan – who's been dominant in all of their victories, and you look at Clemson's strength of schedule and who they've beaten, okay? They've beaten Florida State. They've beaten Louisville, all right? So even though it seems like they've snuck by some games, I can see because of who they've beaten, who they have just beaten, that's why you look at where, where Clemson is. So I, I, but I, I argue the Washington thing. I, mean, I can believe you on whatever. But I'm going to make a couple arguments here. Um the teams they're supposed to beat, they beat them like they stole some. So they, they beat did. Rutgers 48-13. They beat Idaho 59-14. They beat Portland State 41-3. But then I would argue the top teams that everybody said fell off, it's kind of like anybody who fought George Furman when he was young and he beat, he beat them up, they did not fight well the next, first, the next two or three fights. I think the reason why those teams uh, did not do well is because of how Washington beat them down. So then they play they play Arizona. They beat them 35-28. But then they whooped Stanford like they stole some. I think that had something to do with it. I think it took Stanford a couple. They were shocked that they got pushed around like that. They got beat 44 to 6. You would mm-hmm. you could not you remember you and I were talking about uh, at the beginning of the season we're like, you know, who's on our can't trust it list. I don't think we had Stanford at all on our can't trust it list. I mean, we you know those are solid performers. They beat them like they still so. Oregon, yeah, they're down, but they beat them seventy to twenty-one. I don't care how down you are. When you beat Oregon seventy to twenty-one, that's a thrashing. And then well, my keep old mind, over there, Coach Anderson, defensive coordinator is Brady they, they, Hoke, so that ain't saying much. <laughs> I understand that. That's their problem. But I would say this. <laughs> and then they beat they, they they beat they beat my old friend Coach Anderson forty-one seventeen. Uh, then they played a tough Utah team um, and, and beat them 31-24. I think Utah going to make – so I, I think when you really look at they are not playing down to their talent. <laughs> they're playing – they're rising to the teams they play. 
I was just surprised that I, you would have them over Texas and A&M when you look at the way they won, even against all their competition. And so people can make a criticism of Oregon, but they beat them like – it'd be different if they only beat Oregon 42-38, but they beat them 70-21. I mean, I mean, don't you know, get me wrong. I'm not a big Washington with... fan, but I'm just, I'm just like – it doesn't make any sense, at least for this first vote. No, I agree you with know, you. To I, have this I, MS. yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think the fact that Washington, which is undefeated, has dominated uh, their um, opponents, that they should be be in there. Again, I, I started my statement. I think that it's a bias, okay? I still think that there is an SEC bias. I don't think that A&M is the fourth best team in the nation. I absolutely do not, okay? They, they, they gave up. They they gave up the lead to Tennessee, who I I told you they were on the can't trust list. You remember, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gave up that lead, and 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 Tennessee has proven to be a can't trust team all season. All right. Now just because they escaped with that victory, okay, and then uh, hang with Alabama for a half, you know, I I I I, I don't think you reward a team for that. I think that. In, in this in this first pass, I think they did Washington a disservice, but because nobody watches who they play, and then when they go on and look at the teams that they play and their records, and they're not the teams that they once were, I mean, I'm pretty sure that was the conversation around Washington. I think it had less to do with Washington and more to do with the teams that they played not having the seasons that was anticipated of them. Yeah, and I would say I, I think the victory is probably helping them the most given how they beat people down now at the Auburn. That's probably the one that's helping them the most right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, A&M. Because they, they weren't really into the, in the Alabama game enough for that to even be relevant. I mean, they got to be 33-14, and I think, you know, Alabama was in control. I thought they were in control most of that game. I didn't feel like A&M was really threatening them. But I think the Auburn game probably gives them, you know, uh, some play. And, and, and we'll find out some stuff over the next couple of weeks. You know, they got to play, you know, the state of Mississippi coming up here. Um, and right. To get out, then they got to play LSU. And so, you right. know, I think it'll take care of itself. If they run a table there, then I think, you know, maybe they make a, a, a case for themselves. You know, Ohio State, man, is, you know, I had a chance to watch them uh, when they were uh, in Madison. Um, they basically got uh, Samuels and JT Barrett. If you can hold on, if you can control those two entities, it doesn't feel like they got anything else offensively going. They throw a lot of those swing passes, a lot of that jet sweep stuff. Nothing really vertical. Uh, with J- JT Barrett is an incredible player. To see him live, you know, he's he's as good as advertised. But it doesn't seem like there's a lot more around them. So the offensive line not as strong as it needs to be. Um, you know, um, that Michigan uh, Ohio State game is going to be interesting. You know, you know Louisville is. You know, with Jackson, you know, who is trying to take this whole Heisman Trophy thing to the next level, you know, he, you know, he he making Houdini plays every time, every week you watch him, um, and 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 they're and they're battling in uh, in, in every game, you know, they, they they got the coach, the river, the, the riverboat gambler, and the and the, uh, the and you better check his pocket before you leave the room, Pacino. Um, they, they they got a lot of stuff going on here, and uh, they're gonna have a couple of games. You know, the Louisville Houston game. Given Houston had Houston's got two losses, that game could have been much bigger. 
um, mm-hmm. coming down the stretch would have been a better game. But it's still going to be a good game for them coming down the stretch um, to see what they can they can do. Um, they Kentucky is five and three this year, so that's solid. You know, you get you got Stoops over there doing. They got Stoops over there doing a solid job. Um, and so they got some winning, some some teams with winning records down the stretch to kind of build a case for them. But um, they they got the loss to Louis to, to Clemson. Um, uh, that big win over NC State. I mean, NC State is solid. Dorrance trying to get them going right. They 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 put they took them behind the woodshed. Um, so, but the the Virginia one was one they had to get out. You know, they had to kind of get out of there by their chinny chin chin. Um, it is not going to be a, 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 a great win for them. So we got a lot going on here, man. And to see that we got a number of Big Ten teams sitting around, it's kind of like the Big Ten is is is, is in the SEC. The Big Ten is starting to lift up. It, you know, it's it's its credibility is coming up here in recent years. I mean, you see the number of Big Ten teams sitting right in there. It's that's an impressive list, along with the, yeah. the SEC. Basically, those two conferences are owning it. Um, right now, so they're going to be in the collision course. Um, the team that I think is sneaking up here that people have to watch is not, they might not get into the Final Four, but they might make a run down the stretch, um, um, depending on how things shape out. Um, you know, after just their recent loss, but they can bounce back a little bit. Uh, as I like Utah, I mean, I think they played tough. Um, Washington got out of there. I think Utah's a team uh, to watch out for. Um, Nebraska's had that loss against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's another team to watch out. They have two losses against Ohio State and Michigan, um, and they have a chance to, to run the table here um, and, and get into the mix um, in a way that could be uh, very beneficial to them. So there's a lot of there's a lot more work to be done here. Um, do you think a two-loss team could actually get into the Final Four? You know what? It's going to take a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. it's going to take a whole lot because of the teams in front of them. All right, uh, is, is it possible? Of course it's possible. When you look at it this year, I don't. And the reason why I don't is because the team uh, with the two losses. All right, I take mm-hmm. nothing away from Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's had an incredible year. Okay, with that being said, Wisconsin doesn't have an offense. All right. They've exposed some teams because their defense is very good. But their offense, I mean, Tommy Tommy Frazier, okay, he, he, they, they, should just, they should just start calling him a Pop-Tart or they should start calling him some other dessert because he's a turnover machine. He's a turnover. That's what he does, okay? And he reserted back to his old self last week, okay? The, the team that everyone is, is keeping – in the top ten is Wisconsin. It's because of that incredible strength of schedule and the teams that they've beaten and the teams that they've lost to continue to win, okay? Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, okay? Uh, Nebraska, all right? So that's what it is. But if you're going to ask me, you take a two-loss Wisconsin over the top five teams, okay? I don't think they can stop those teams from scoring. All right, and that's the reason why I don't think this year would be the year that would happen. All right, so maybe, but but as these as these uh, conferences get stronger and these teams lose early, and now with some of these conferences, they're getting away from the old um, FCS uh, scheduling those teams. 
and you're going to have some teams with one loss early in the year before they figure out who they are, like Penn State. All right, Penn State all of a sudden becomes a dangerous team in the month of November when they look like uh, James Franklin was trying to save his job mm-hmm. early in the year. Okay, mm-hmm. but it's going to take an awful lot. And if you if it, when you'll see a two-loss team in the playoffs is when you start looking at teams really those schedules start getting tight and tight and tight late in the year. Not yet, but it's coming. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, you know. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, this is this is uh, you've really seen some teams kind of bounce back and try to right their season, and, and especially some of these big conferences. You know, um, Northwestern was battling a little bit with Ohio State um, uh, here recently. Um, you're gonna see some of those teams uh, in the SEC who didn't look good, but they got coaches who are trying. You know, who are trying to make save their job, they're gonna be turning them around. They're gonna keep coaching through the end. Um uh when you're looking at coaches that are that you don't think gonna be back next year, are there any coaches as you look around that who have been under fire? I mean obviously Charlie Strong, you know, even though he you know he basically has freshmen and sophomores playing, just now getting his recruiting class up, you know, whoever comes in there is gonna be winning with his players. Um, you know, are there other players uh, other teams that uh, other coaches that you think are are going to be, you know, on 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 the block. Absolutely, um, you, you know, Charlie Strong is the obvious one, but the other one I think you got to look at is Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, uh, mm. because Brian Kelly, you know, he's he's been able to recruit well there, okay, but you know, while Notre Dame might have other issues like possibly just joining a conference. You you know we're in the we are in the era of the college football play, playoff, okay. Look at Notre Dame's schedule. Look at how they faltered down the stretch last year. All right. Now you, when you start talking about yeah we got into the national championship game several years ago, you know with uh, and played Alabama they got their doors blown off, and they were fortunate that year but they have not rebounded anymore. So that's one coach I would look at that could possibly be on the block. Another coach, and and this might be a surprise to you, it might be Mark Helfrich out in Oregon. All right, Oregon, well, yes, making it to the uh, uh, college football championship with Marcus Mariota. Those were basically uh, uh, Chip Kelly's players, okay? Those were Chip Kelly's players, okay? Since then... They have been an afterthought, and they, and, and they can't play defense at all, all right? So it, is, this, is this the right way to go with that team? Because Oregon has built up something, okay? They have become, they, they have become that team. So they can't, they can't have these kind of seasons. They're not going to make a bowl game this year, okay? So that's not going to look good for them. Those are two coaches that I would look at that – you know, just kind of off the radar, if you will, but with, with big names that that could be gone by the end of the season. Yeah, and, and part of that is Notre Dame realizing that that's who you are. Like every three or four years, you'll make a run for a national championship, but you're going to have some tough years in between. If you can realize that that's who you are, then Brian Kelly is your coach because you know he's going to figure out how to bounce back. 
Uh, but when you have people like P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan doing the kind of job he's doing, what happens is those ADs, those boosters are like, especially in the Midwest, like, you know, that's a guy that probably can end up at Notre Dame. Uh, we like his speeches. He's going to be like New Rockney. He's going to be the new age, new Rockney. And, and you know, they still get enamored and, uh, with these, these up-and-coming uh, cats. And so, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think part of it is, you know, do you have organizations that know how to build for the long run? And do they believe you know that Brian Kelly can figure out how to fix it and get them back in the mix, but are you going to be patient enough to do that? You're, I mean, that's, and that's it, you know, and that's part of it is some of these fan bases being delirious about what they can expect to be. Um, and I think that's the challenge. I mean, Notre Dame is only going to be so good because of the academic challenges they have and getting some players in and they can't get everybody. All these things, but to be able to be in the conversation every two to three years, is that enough for a place like that? You know, versus, you know, now you see a Michigan rising up in the Midwest. You know, even some of the places where you own, you got Lovey Smith down in Illinois. He's going to start getting his act together, get some recruits. You know, as Paul Chris gets used, he's going to get there. So a lot of your markets where you are owning in Chicago and some of these other places, you know, you're going to have competition you know, as, as these teams get stronger. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think those are good coaches, I think, who could be, you know, on, uh, on, on, uh, on the list of the chopping block um, a little bit. You know, my good friend, you know, I like him a lot, or, you know, I'm going to call him my good friend, but the guy, no, I think, you know, Brett's got to get it together down in Arkansas. I love him. I agree. But he's got to figure out how to get them um, over the top. And, you know, he'd probably be the first to say he's disappointed um, in um, how they're playing down there. But, you know, um, that was my worry about going down there is that for him is that you, you can only get, you know, you can only get so much talent. You know what I'm saying? Like right. when you're competing over there on the side, like, if, you know, if he was on the Georgia side or coaching in Tennessee, you know, I think he had already been in the SEC championship. You know, I just – you know, just being around him, that's the kind of guy who would get there. You know, but he's got to get a couple of difference makers. You know, and when they, he got hammered by uh, – it's not that – he's won some good games, right? He's won some games. He's competed against Alabama all the way to the end. Um, you know, um, you know, but he's got that loss, that bad loss to Texas A&M, and then he's got that bad loss to Auburn. The Auburn loss, I think, really hurts because it's so recent. But he's the kind of guy who will bounce back and beat a Florida and LSU or win, you know, three out of the last four. But he's got to have a strong finish um, here to kind of keep it going in the right direction. So, you know, I think he's another person that, you know, they might not get him at the end of this year, but next year is going to be a big year for him um, Mm -hmm. as long as he's been there. Um, So who do you think LSU takes? Because they got the interim coach here. Um, I think some people have been clamoring for the uh, their their offense has opened up a little bit, but do you think Jimbo Fisher is a possibility down there? Um, you know, what do you what do you think about uh, LSU and that job? And you know, who's right for that job? Sometimes I think they're as delirious as anything. Do you see some candidates that might be right, or is that the? Let me, it, let me tell you something. I think that, that you, LSU, I think LSU is delusional. Okay. Um. I think that they they they've gotten too big for their britches, as the old folks used to say. Um, they had a great coach, and believe me, 
uh, anybody going to LSU, they're going to have to open up the bank book, you know, the bank vault and come and get them. Because, believe me, these other coaches see what they did with Les Miles. All right? So you talk about a Tom Herman. You talk about a Jim Bow Fisher. Everybody keeps throwing those names around. The thing is about it is it's going to take them time to establish their program. Why, if you are a Jim Herman, would you go, uh, 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 Tom Herman, sorry, would you go to LSU when, you know, you've got to establish yourself? Is the money going to be there? Yeah. But if I'm Tom Herman, if Texas is open, I'm going to Texas. If I'm Jimbo Fisher, okay, I'm just a year removed from the playoffs. Why would I leave Florida State? All right? They might want to look right there. Yeah, that's right what I don't there. understand. I don't understand why would he leave Florida State. Like, why would you leave Florida State? See, a lot of times they say stuff that don't make sense. Keep in mind, there was a reason why Nick Saban left. All right? There was a reason why Nick Saban left. So uh, he was making good money. He won a national championship, but he got out of Louisiana to go to the pros. All right? People need to pay attention to that. I don't think as much of a say, uh, 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 slam dunk as folks think. I think if Orgeron wants the job, he's proven it with two big programs. He did it at SC, and he's doing it now. Okay, he's turned the team around. They might want to look inward instead of looking outward. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, you're at Florida State, and you basically, you know, have maybe a handful of teams that are going to compete against you every year. To, to have a gateway to the Final Four. Why would you then go to the SEC West where you're going to be competing against the entire division that's going to make you struggle? Like, I don't understand the rationale about that. And LSU job is not better than the Florida State job, in my mind. I, I mean, at worst case, so you say it's even. And if it's even, then I'm staying where I am, where I got fewer people to, you know, Dabble going to make a Dabble mistake in some of these games. You know, he ain't that far away from making – Clemson being Clemson, and so you know you have um, you know you know maybe some other teams come into the play. Maybe Miami getting stronger. You know, I mean, it's just, but it's not going to be the same level of craziness that you're going to deal with LSU. So I, I mean, I, don't, I mean, I hear that talk, and if he does it, cool. Maybe it's something he knows that nobody else knows. But I, I wouldn't. When you got that talent pool in Florida, and Florida State's got your tradition. And you, you, you've already dealt with following the legend by winning your own national championship. So you don't have to live with questions about Bobby Bowden, you know, or like Brett Bielema when he was trying to get, you know, make sure he's out of the shadow of Alvarez. You're not, you're not dealing with it anymore. You don't put that to bed. You got your own right. legacy to build on. So you're right. I, I, don't, I never really kind of understood any of that. So, all right, we're moving towards the close to the end. Um, we're going to drop the mic. At first on the schedule, I had me dropping the mic. But given this baseball, this is what I'm going to show you the talent of Hank. Given that, given that we have, we've had this incredible baseball, and the reason why I'm pausing is because <laughs> somebody's got to hold Steve Kerr back. They made a bad call. <laughs> Steve Kerr was about to run out of the floor and get hit. So I'm going to throw it to you, Hank, to, like, close us out, given that baseball season is over. 
Okay, listen. So we go we go we gonna start with baseball because it's been an amazing season. A season that starts in spring training in February, opens up in April, ends in November. You know, so you've pretty much got the whole year. You know, we've had some ups, we've had some downs, we've had some tragedies, we've had some goodbyes. Went through a lot of those last year, I mean, last week. You know, so uh, it's farewell to the regular season. It's farewell to the postseason. We're coming up on on the winter meeting soon. But, you know, with everything that I want to, I want to end it with this, though. You know, we've talked about this season. We've talked about uh, fans. We've talked about everything. We've talked about uh, protests and everything. But I want everyone out there right now to exercise one thing, okay? In less than a week, we we go to the polls. Exercise your right to vote. There are folks out there that died for that opportunity. There are folks that protested for that opportunity. We've talked about protests and the First Amendment and all the rights that people have in this great country that we live in. So I will say to you tonight to take that opportunity and your civil duty and your right to vote, and you make your voice heard next week on November 8th. Thank you, brother. Hey, y'all, we out. The resistance. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.